On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Tony Gilkison, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. You are listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. And, you know, most of you know I'm a groupie, or I used to be a groupie, although I'll always have a groupie heart. A groupie is just someone who loves musicians and the music they make. And they like to be around the vibe. When it's a a regular time in this world, I do rock tours. Um, I write a column. You can read my column at pleasekillme.com. And I have many books out, of course. I'm writing two more as we speak. So I am keeping busy during this oddball time. And I'm very proud to be part of Pantheon Podcasts. And we are really growing, man. Have you heard Pleasant Gaiman's show? Whoa, you better check it out. And we are on all platforms, so you can find us anywhere. And so listen to our podcast, please, and tell your friends, okay? I would love that. And today's show is pretty special. All my shows are special, but today I have uh, Dee Dee Keel joining me. She is a was a notorious wild groupie and proud of it. She's totally unabashed, and her stories are incredible. She is in my book, Let's Spend the Night Together, uh, which is about a whole bunch of groupies and all their fabulous exploits. So we're going to talk to her right now.
Hi, sweetheart. Hi. Thank you for coming out so far. I am thrilled to be near you. Oh. <laughs> Yay. I will do anything for you. Oh, honey, that is so sweet. Well, you are you're a chapter in my book. Let's spend the night together. And so, I had no idea I was a chapter until I opened the book. You didn't Oh, no. No, you just thought I was going to say a couple things? I mean, I thought there'd be a little something something in there and then somebody handed me the book and said, "Maybe you better look." And I went, uh, "Woo!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, she has her absolutely her own chapter. And what did I call it? I, oh, yeah. Hey, little girl, you want to come on the bus? That that was for Keith Richards asked you that, right? That, was what, that you know, looking back, I think it might have been Bill Wyman. But, oh. <laughs> but I was so stunned that it even happened and frozen. Yeah. I couldn't remember. That is such a cool story. We're going to get to that. Um, but I'm going to read a little tiny piece out of here because <laughs> I'm going to give people a little idea of why I wanted you to come on the show. Okay. Lucky for me, it's a small rock world we live in, and when she heard, when Dee Dee heard I was working on a book about groupie history, she contacted me through my website. This is her response to my email asking whom she had groupied with. Here goes, she said. Jeff Beck, Cozy Powell, Chick Churchill, David Cassidy, the entire Hollies band, Ian Pace, Keith Hartley, Johnny Allman, Tony Stevens, traveled with Fog Hat and Humble Pie, Peter Grant. Yes, I went big. I was, I was like, whoa, can't wait to hear about that. Lee from Chicago and many, many roadies. I didn't mind if I got to hang with the bands. Iggy and the Stooges. I married the light man, lived with Iggy. Van Halen, Motley Crue, Rat. I married Bron Keel and toured the world with many famous bands. Phew. It's tiring <laughs> just hearing it. <laughs> yep. I called her instantly, and after a few minutes on the phone, I knew she had to have her own chapter. So <laughs> that is Dee Dee in my book, Let's Spend the Night Together. And um, the, re the way this happened, really, is Erin uh, and I were talking about the Whiskey A Go Go. She, she said, I need some, I'd love to get some history on the whiskey. It's such an important mm, venue, yes. it's such a, a historical place. And I went, well, I know just the person to talk about that. So, <laughs> so here you are. Well, and the history seems to be changing a bit as the people that um, remain begin to tell the stories um, so I'm I'm really happy to talk about it yeah to, to, for me to set the record a little more straight than it's starting to curve to good um, because as we maybe all know by now the Maglieri family now owns the whiskey yes but it was started by Elmer Valentine yes and you were his assistant for a dozen years right I was there from 71 to 83 what a great run huh? right by his side and yeah. uh, and so I have a lot of a lot of love and respect for him and I hate to see his history just disappearing uh, but the people that are telling the stories in the Maglieri family just don't know that's part of the problem okay because they're the, the young people run it now right the younger the grandchildren yes, actually right you know? I know so how would they know unless they they heard it from Mario. I mean, he had some great... Mario Maglieri and Elmer Valentine were partners in the Whiskey A Go-Go, right? Par partners not to begin with. Oh, okay. Well, okay, if you know the history, let's hear it. Well, yeah. initially it was Elmer's idea, and Elmer was the owner, sole owner. Oh, okay. Uh, Mario was the right-hand man. He really ran the place. The interesting thing was, because he was out on the street, he became yeah. the face right. of the whiskey, yeah. which a lot of people misinterpreted it as being the owner. I see. Well, I always knew, I always thought it was co-owned by both of them. 
Um, but I was very tight with Mario. He was much more, like you said, the face. And he, he loved pretty girls. <clears throat> he was always very good, though, with them. Excellent. No bad stories about Mario, man. He was very happy with his wife, Scarlett. And, but he, he loved pretty girls. He loved them to come into the club because a lot of people <laughs> would buy us drinks and we'd get people on the dance floor. So I never had to pay to get in there. <laughs> And that, that's exactly what happened when I, well, I began hanging out in front of the whiskey when I was uh, 14. I ditched school to go see the young rascals up there. Yeah. But I wasn't old enough to get in. Yep. But when I arrived up there and saw those big red letters, it was like a beacon. And I went, oh my God, I could hang out here and see the, just see them load in and out. Yeah, exactly. I began to <laughs> hang out there a lot. And when I was about 19, so maybe 1968, um, my good uh, childhood uh, high school friend got a job in the box office, so I got to go in free. Is that Charlotte? That who, who was, was Kathy. That? She oh. actually still works at the Roxy. That is incredible. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I bet she's got some stories too. Yeah, she and I were there. A lot of them aren't real big on telling stories, and her memory isn't the best, so she relies oh. on me a lot. But oh, okay, <laughs> I have a pretty clear head and a good memory, so I will, you know, I'm sure to remind her of different things. But, yeah. But she was the reason that I ended up getting to go up and in, in, in the first place. We went together, and. Um, it was about 19 late 69 when Elmer had I was a new girl in town a lot of attention I was gathering because there were regulars yeah 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 so he asked one night you know who's that girl and and I got introduced and then he said hey would you like to answer phones for a couple weeks while I look for a secretary uh, <laughs> and I said heck yeah oh, of course my god just <laughs> to be in that hallowed space I mean yeah god all the stories even in the in the book that you've told well, it, yeah, sure it's kind of more. fun. And, sure and Elmer, Elmer always said, you know what's beautiful about you? You have no idea how powerful you are. <laughs> and I yeah, didn't. Yeah. I know, you were just having fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd wait every week for the the, um, the new album releases to be sent in. So I yeah. could spread them out on the table. And the girls and I would look around and go, ooh, Foghat, he's mine, he's mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so how did you, I mean, so early on, who who were you attracted to as a as a young teen well like, of course the Beatles and the Rolling Stones yeah. got got me going and then I you know kind of branched out from there I, I totally went to the Stones when I began to be pretty rebellious at 14 and so tell us about the the Stones concert I think we were both at that it's a concert in Long Beach right I actually got to see them three times because they performed at the Tammy show at the Santa Monica Civic. Right. Oh, you got to go to that? Which was free to all of the local schools. We got free tickets. Oh, gosh. So I did. I went to that. My parents dropped me off. This was the first time my parents realized that I was going to be a handful. <laughs> they dropped me off for the free concert, and I got right up front. I thought I was going to die waiting for Jan and Dean to go through. Everybody's coming on. <laughs> Finally, the Stones. I even I even stood through James Brown, which, looking back, I'm thinking that was how lucky fantastic. you were. Yeah, how lucky you were. <laughs> now I'm appreciating it. But you know, when you're when you're when you're waiting for Mick, yeah. When you're 14 and you're waiting for the Stones, yeah, it didn't seem like a lot, but uh, <laughs> but I I can relive it perfectly. Um, but at any rate, I crawled under the the back curtain towards the end and got in there and got tossed out grabbed up a cigarette butt <laughs> that is so great check that away <laughs> that is so similar to what i did when when they were staying at the ambassador hotel i tried to go meet them you know and i made a fool of myself i was a kid too i was 15, 16 actually at that time 
but I did the same thing. After they left town, I went through all the trash cans that, yes. that had been emptied out. And I, I have a piece of Brian Jones' hair. And I, I, I found out how old Bill Wyman actually was. Boy, <laughs> he was old then. Yes. I mean, he was much older than the rest of the band. And he had torn up a copy of his passport. Oh, and I boy. put it together. So I, I did the very same kind of things. I saved those kinds of cigarette butts and napkins and things like that. Young, young, pre-groupie girls. Well, I got in trouble because I followed the band and realized they were staying at the Surf Rider Inn right across the street from the San Juan Civic. Wow. And I went in there by the pool. But when my mom and dad came to to find me, I got in trouble. <laughs> Said, oh no, she went over to the hotel and I thought, hotels, okay, they stay here. <laughs> That's incredible. That was pre, that was like a year before they came back and played the Long Beach Arena, right? Well, they, yeah, what ha- what happened after that is I had already gone, I, I took a early morning bus up to Wallach's Music City to stand in line yes. for the tickets to, it was actually the Long Beach Auditorium. Okay, yes. Which yeah. doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, oh, I used to go, well, I yeah. went there with uh, Captain Beefheart. Oh, it He's was, a, it was a phenomenal uh, venue, I thought, and I remember yes, it vividly. it was a beautiful venue. But on the floor, they had the folding chairs. It wasn't yes. big seating. Yeah. So I got up early in the morning and rode the bus <laughs> up to get my ticket, my $3 ticket, and there was nobody there but one girl. <laughs> one girl. And I thought, okay, well, I got my ticket, went home, and, and then my dad drove me to the concert. What good parents you had to they do that. They were fantastic, yeah. Well, you know, parents in, in, from our era just had no idea what was going on. It was unprecedented what we were about to enter into, that, you know, the hippie movement and the peace and love and all that stuff. No one understood it yet, what it might, True. you know, what that might lead to for you. <laughs> right, right. Well, I still have the support of my family. They, they uh, act, actually think I have a glorious history. So, well, you do, you know, honey. I was a little embarrassed of it to begin with, but as it's creeping out into the world, when I'm were you back. embarrassed? Doesn't seem like you'd ever be embarrassed about it. Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you, you're unabashed. You talk about it. You, I mean, this came out what 2008. You were still, you were happy to, to discuss all your well, exploits. What happened was we took a family trip to Seattle just after the release of Let's Spend the Night Together. Uh-huh. And my sister, who's a retired dentist, that's pretty pretty straight, she wandered into Barnes & Noble and found that. <laughs> and she bought it and went back to the hotel and devoured it. And then she went, oh, my. Oh, I'll bet she did. I had no idea. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So. And you have six kids, right? And they're I do. She has six kids. That in itself is several books. I mean, I have one kid. I don't know how you did it, man. And six grandchildren now. Amazing. I call amazing. them the twelve wonders. <laughs> it's, it's a wonder <laughs> I made it through it. <laughs> and you know, you and I are a lot alike in our. We have optimism. We have a lot of joyous optimism. I do. Yeah. I yeah. do. I'm a peacemaker and yeah, a love too. maker. I can see the beauty in any situation, even maybe the beauty of my embarrassment a bit of <laughs> revealing my little secrets. <laughs> well, we're going to, st- okay, so after the Stones concert, did you, tell me, did you meet them at the Long Beach Arena? I did not. What happened after that was they played the LA Sports Arena in 65. Okay. So 64, 
I did the Tammy show. I did the Long Beach mm-hmm. Auditorium. But you, at least you crawled under the cur- curtains. I would not we, have had the ovaries to do that. Well, I tried to crawl into the backstage area of the uh, Long Beach Auditorium. Right. It's a really, it was a really old building, and I ended up crawling through a bathroom window, but then I couldn't get out, <laughs> so I never never made it that far. <laughs> Got back into my seat. Um, the seats were the were the folding seat yeah. type, not fixed seats, so... We all stood up, but then people were going right through the slats and getting their legs stuck. So oh. I realized if oh. I, I could start walking forward on the seat. So I, I got to the front. Oh. But yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Good. <laughs> I, was, I was getting little tricks going as I went along. So by the time I went to, uh, decided I wanted to go to the Long Beach Sports Arena, they were getting quite famous at that point. Yeah. Yep. I always had a little bit of a magic touch, and I'm talking to some girls at school and it turns out this one girl's dad was the manager of the arena fantastic so i said let's go see the rolling stones and so they took me fantastic that was my first taste of front row seats yeah and wow. getting really front up row close for that. and then we had to wait around while they closed, they cleared out and closed the arena. Uh, she and I were scouring through all of the trinkets that were tossed up on stage, the teddy bears and the yeah. panties and panties every, and bras. Else. Girls right. were whipping their bras off and throwing yes. them on stage. I remember that so vividly. I was at that show too. Yes, and <clears throat> just amazing stuff going on. It was quite, unprecedented. It was quite fun. I, I mean, I don't think people took their panties and bras off for Elvis or Frank Sinatra. And threw them on so. stage. I don't think so. They might have wanted to. I think it's funny now. I see girls go to certain concerts and bring their extra bra. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the same. I'm not sorry. Not the same at all. <laughs> but um, anyway, that particular night after the arena uh, cleared, we had to come into the backstage area to wait for him to get everything locked up and closed out. And all of a sudden, this giant hangar opens and in comes this. It was like this giant star of this huge tour bus and I went oh what is that (laughs) what is that but then out of a tunnel comes this man leading the band I was just Mm. cemented to the ground in awe oh my gosh and there they were and were we 15 at the time yeah I would have been just gonna be 15 I'm pretty sure it was Bill Wyman. I think I wanted it to be Keith because I was so in love with Keith. And they said, hey, little girl, want to come on the bus? And I was so ready. (laughs) We were grabbed by the shoulder and led in another direction. But but I realized these guys were real. Yeah, exactly. They were attainable. Flesh and blood, yeah. Right there, especially if they asked you to come on the bus. Well, I always wanted to know what was on a tour bus after that. I couldn't wait to get on a tour bus. (laughs) Didn't Bill Wyman wind up marrying some incredibly young person afterwards? I think he did. A young young girl. Real young, 13, I think. I adored him. So, I mean, it's not surprising he wanted you to come on. All right, I know, I know. One wonders. And he was the oldest stone by far. Shame, shame. Yeah, that was really fun. That was the last time I, I ever saw them. But I do have my tour book from that that particular show. Wow, I bet that's worth a bundle. It's gorgeous. I look at it quite often. I still have all my ticket stubs from the stuck Ooh. into my diaries. Yeah, that's. Fun. Did you save any of those? No, I've lost a lot of things along the way. Mm. I just have a handful, but the handful I have are pretty dear and special to me. Did you keep diaries? 
I did not. It's amazing. Your memory is so vivid then. I have a good memory. I do. I always have. And um, and I was I had a lot of clarity because I didn't, I never took uh, drugs or did a lot of drinking. So Uh-huh. Never uh, took drugs. Nope. That is an a incredible thing to be proud of, I think. Well, my grandfather, I can't say that. <laughs> my grandfather and his um, sister were pharmacists. I was raised really just running around in the pharmacies. They had four pharmacies in L.A. Oh, wow. And you never wanted to tamper with any of them. No, it. he taught me never to take anything unless you absolutely needed it. And he taught me all about the chemistry. And, you know, so I always I listened to him. Very wise. Yeah. He That's was a incredible. Really smart man. So I know you wound up hanging out with the Rascals. Did that happen when you had that big crush on them in the early days at the Whiskey, or was that later? That The first day that I went to the Whiskey, they were loading in and out. <laughs> of course. But they walked just a couple of blocks to a, a motel, and we followed them. <laughs> and? That was when I realized, okay, here it is, hotel again. This could work. This could work. <laughs> And they were very sweet. They allowed us to come in, but they kept the door open. Mm. Um, oh, oh, my girlfriend and I became—I would think at the time maybe they thought we were stalkers. Quite annoying. We began to uh, find out when they were coming into town. Show up at the air. We call the airline and ask for their. Do you have that them on the flight? We give them by the names, and they they tell they us. They would and we tell show you up. then. Oh my lord! And then I found a um, a phone book depot in. Uh, near Venice, my hometown of Venice, where you could go in and look at all the phone books. Yeah. So after school, I went in and found the New York City phone book. <laughs> Score, I found Dino Donnelli. <laughs> he was the cute one. We're calling him. <laughs> Hanging up. But they no came one back. could imagine that happening no, nowadays. It I was mean, him, too. It was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they came back into town and stayed at the same motel. And um, and I got the idea that I'd call and leave a message for Gene Cornish. And I, I chose Gene because, he, to me, he was probably the least popular. And maybe maybe I, it was an easier go-to. Yes, very clever. He called me back. He did. He called me back. And I was at home at my parents' home. And, and I remember going, I was so nervous. He said, this is Gene Cornish. I'm returning a call. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow. I said, oh, do you need me to call you back? Because I knew there weren't phones in the room. And he literally said, oh, I've got a nickel. Oh, I, don't know, I think it was more nickel. like a dime. But, but he invited me up. Why don't you come on over? <laughs> and now I do. Knock, knock, knock. He opens the door. <laughs> There's a 14-year-old. Oh, oh he was it? so disappointed. Oh. <laughs> he was so disappointed. Yeah. Well, that's just, it takes so much courage to do that. And there was no G word yet. The groupie word didn't even exist when you were doing those things. No, it did come Same into here. play not long after that. Right, right. Um, but, but, but we were doing this stuff before that word existed. Absolutely. And we were following, and I was following the rascals any possible place I could um, towards the end of that whole time it was about 1968 and they were staying at the uh, century plaza hotel uh-huh and and i would just sit in the lobby waiting 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 and they'd come and they'd let us they'd let us up leaving the door propped open huh they so were, they were nice boys they were they were not rascals at all <laughs> they were very nice guys <laughs> and did you hook up with eventually the one you were interested in no my go-to was felix cavallari Right. Adored him. My girlfriend Kathy and I, we got a little loom and we beaded 
these remember the beaded necklaces that everybody would wear in the late 60s yes and and we loomed them and one of them said love and the other one said peace and they actually wore them in a photo in 16 magazine fantastic uh, when we saw that we were squealing so hard it was so exciting and they were just so sweet to us and cool oh, to us. Good. I still have a photograph of me with Felix at the Century Plaza when we had our <laughs> photograph taken that together. That is so sweet. Uh, I was just in love with that band. I loved their music, the messages that were yeah. in the music. I know. They were, they, come on, people, smile on your brother in case you no one's aware of that. No, yeah, isn't that them? That's them, right? day. Grooving. Yeah. Real, oh, real sweet stuff. So good. Just good stuff. I was so in love with them that I named my first child after Eddie Rigotti's girlfriend, Amy Steele. Oh, huh. Amy Steele. She tolerated us well. We'd knock on that <laughs> that door of the hotel and she would answer it. You could tell it was like, oh boy, <laughs> they're here again. She was a stunning girl. So yeah, I yeah. named my child. My daughter Amy is named after her. How incredible. You know, also, people don't realize a lot of times the groupies, in quotes, you know, we would just hang out with the bands just to be around them and didn't even necessarily have sex with them or, you know, but we wanted to offer some kind of something or other. I would, you know, take them shopping. I would take them to antique clothing stores very early on. And they, you know, Rod Stewart got his first feather boa there. Some girls took them to Disneyland. Yeah. 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 Was that you? No. Um, <laughs> no, but you, you know they. I was bad. I took them to bed. <laughs> well, that's not bad. That's not bad. Or I we took dress a few them, to bed do their too. laundry. But I mean, sometimes it wasn't always that. It wasn't just that. No, is what I'm saying. It was just. I mean, of course, at the age of fourteen, I wasn't yeah. doing that. It was just being near them, being close the essence watching their mannerisms hearing their stories it was just exciting they were real yeah that that's how i felt too exactly but that's it, how i felt going to see the beatles and the stones i mean i couldn't fathom that these were real people yeah surely they couldn't be real <laughs> then there they were and then there they are they're just like just like you i mean yeah and but it took me a long time to get to that point to where i felt kind of equal with them you know, when I was real young, it was like, how how could I reach that pinnacle where Dion lives? You know, he was my teen teen idol. So. I, I totally know that. No, yeah. I remember when I took my job at the Whiskey thinking, I've done it now. I'm in the yeah. house of music. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go there then again. So what was your first, you know, what did you do at first? So Elmer, Elmer said two weeks uh, of answering the phones, but you were there 12 years, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because I began hanging out in the uh, at the front of the whiskey, of course, you know, years before. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. old enough to get in. Yep, but same here. But just going up there and looking up at that marquee, to me, it was like going to church. Yes. Like, oh, what goes on inside there? <laughs> I gotta know. You know, it wasn't going to happen that quite like that. But my grandmother was um, one of the heads of L.A. County Park and Recreation. Mm -hmm. And I was in Hollywood a lot. Both sets of grandparents lived up there. My grandfather was... Um, a silent movie star. Oh. So, you know, back then I had grandparents, both sets in Hollywood. So, of course, yeah. my parents didn't understand why I wanted to go visit Granny so much, but I just wanted to get up there and get out on the streets. <laughs> I wanted to go down to that Whiskey A Go Go place. Yeah. I stayed out there long enough. You know, I got asked to answer phones for a couple of weeks. Right. While Elmer looked for a new secretary. 
Now that was Gail Zappa was before you, correct? Gail Zappa was one before me. I came in after a girl named Susan Markham. Oh, Markham. I knew her. Yeah, I came sure. in after her. Yeah. Okay. But Gail had your job originally. I mean, wait, yeah. That's just so fantastic because she, she and Elmer were very tight for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was that was something. I mean, just to be in that office was something. I didn't know if I'd even last, but you know, I went in for two weeks and ended up staying there what eleven years. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. A long time. I had three kids while I was there. You had three kids I having did. that job. <laughs> you you were his confidant and all of it, right? Everything. Yeah. Yep. I, I fetched his groceries, I cleaned his house, I booked the bands, yep, he, yeah. I was his go-to girl for sure. I mean, what was, I mean, can you kind of explain how, and, and you went to all the gigs too, the ones you were interested in, right? I mean, you, you so you're there all day and all evening a lot of the time, right? Most of the time. Yeah, most of yeah. the time. <laughs> Heck yeah, I would be in there telling him what to book, I want to see, I uh-huh. want this, I want this band, mm-hmm. get him in here, yeah. Who was your proud, what proudest moment when you booked a certain band? Or some of your proudest moments? Well, you know, we did open the Roxy, too. You know, yeah. So we were able to bring in a lot of a lot of acts. You know, looking back, there are just so many of them. I, I can't even I can't even name just one or two. But well, the biggest people on earth played there. The biggest people on earth. On yeah. earth, I mean, Zeppelin played there, and then they played the Forum, and yep. same with the Who. <laughs> I saw the Who, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, at Zeppelin. Yeah, I, I mean, those are huge acts yeah. to see in a small club like that. Yeah. So it was so prestigious that the hugest acts would play there before or after their giant forum gigs. It was nothing like that. I mean, there's no other place like that. No. Certainly in L.A. The whiskey, the whiskey has always been, in my opinion, iconic. To be able to work there was amazing. Yeah, crazy. Well, let's hear some, let's hear some whiskey stories. How about, is that where you met the Hollies? How did I meet the Hollies? <laughs> You've got a good memory, come on. <laughs> the Hollies, I believe I met Terry Sylvester in the whiskey. Yeah. And I can't quite remember how I went off with him, but that was that was definitely where I met him. Okay, and was that the Hyatt House? Where were they staying? Was so many bands stayed at the Hyatt House. No, I think it was the Sunset Marquee. Okay, yeah, that was the other yeah, one. Yeah, the Sunset Marquee. Well, tell us that story. That's a fantastic story. The hitchhike story. The hitchhike story. You want me to read it oh, out of the book? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, read me a little bit of that. You really want me to? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I have to that find it. That was his now. idea. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's such a great story. Well, it goes on and on, but I'll I'll read a little bit of it. (laughs) They all came into the whiskey, and I stood behind the lead singer, Terry Sylvester. He kept turning around, and every time he did, I made an awful face. He said, are you trying to take the piss out of me? I'd never heard that phrase before and started laughing, and he said, get over here, talk to me. It must have been quite a night, because once again, Dee Dee remembers exactly what she was wearing. I had on a little rainbow sweater with hello knitted into it, and he thought that was really cute. At the end of the night, Terry asked Dee Dee for a ride to the hotel, and she sashayed out of the club with her prize while the other girls shot dagger eyes. Now, that, now you were the envy of, of a, lot of your, a lot of the girls there, right? I was, but I think only because I had the, 
the courage. Yeah. Yes, you did. Because I, I kind of, I learned right away that you need to go for what you want. Yeah. You, you went for it. I did. <laughs> and, and okay, okay, I'm going to skip a little bit, but he said, when, when you got to the hotel, you said, he said, look what I, look what I brought home to the boys. <laughs> and I did my famous, let's take a bath, boys. Okay. You want to explain that to us? <laughs> Well, it was funny because I think um, I, I, I discovered that a lot of the groupies had their little thing. Everybody yeah. had their thing that they yeah. would do. I didn't know what my thing was going to be. <laughs> well, pretty funny what you came up with later. Yeah. Yeah. That Well, that seemed to be a good way to get the clothes off of them. <laughs> <laughs> and did they all go for it? Absolutely. <laughs> Well, they would have been fools not to, right? It was fun. It was all in good fun. But some of this, I mean, is is just outrageous. <laughs> they all basked in Dee Dee's largesse except for Cutie Pie Tony Hicks, who stayed in front of the TV. He was a little tisk-tisk about the whole thing while the rest of us had a good time. Afterward, he frowned and said, well, what are you going to do with me? I got down on the floor in front of him, and they all gathered round to watch. After hearing about Cynthia Plastercaster's unique way with a dick, Dee Dee had been trying to come up with her own sexy gimmick. Wait till you hear this, guys, her sexy gimmick, okay? She asked Terry to go to the fridge and get some ice cubes. <laughs> I was going to put them in my mouth and give him head with them. I wanted to be called the Ice Princess, but it never took off. <laughs> you can see why, right? Yeah, but you didn't mention what he came back with. Oh, well, tell us. <laughs> All they had in there was a carton of yogurt. <laughs> okay. And what happened? Shall I read? Go right oh, okay. in. I poured out the yogurt and gave him head. That was it. He came all over and I licked the yogurt off him. From that minute on, he adored me. <laughs> <laughs> the band made a date with me every night that week. And yep. we created little games. This is the one I was talking about. One of them was, we'll pull up in front of the whiskey and you'll be wearing just a trench coat, stockings, and heels. And pretend you're hitchhiking and don't know us. Yep. And did you flash the boys? You bet. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people can tell a story like that. Yep, and you know it was just, there was so much freedom back then. There was so much openness. The, you know, there was a it was early in the pre. It was the love time, right? I mean, it was it was it really was. And you and we were women very early on expressing ourselves in this way, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. there was a lot of judgment, you know, that we had to wade through about people thinking, you know. I was called submissive, of all things, you know, for doing exactly what I wanted to do with these people. Right. Did you right. go through any of that? I went, well, you know, initially I couldn't even get up to the whiskey. My parents had to approve it. Yeah. I was hanging out there, but I wasn't able to, you know, really go to work in the office. Oh. So my dad had to do what he called researching to make sure it was okay. Uh-huh. Well, it was a legitimate business. <laughs> it, it was, well, he ended, up, he, he ended up getting the approval from the uh, sheriff's department. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They said that was a totally uh, safe 
wonderful place. They were monitoring it regularly. <laughs> well, you know, they really knew how to handle that business. Mario and Elmer together. What a duo. They, they did, absolutely. And and they seemed to work real well together. I mean, uh, Elmer was much more a recluse uh, partner. I mean, I didn't see him much out and about there. Yeah, Elmer was more in the back. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. He liked the back seat, if uh-huh. you will. He put uh, Mario into the front seat. Mm-hmm. Well, he was real gregarious, right? And, right. And very Italian. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and he he was a great front front door person. He really was. Yeah, he really and was. And he would he would have to okay people. You know, I'd walk in with some fellow and he'd look him up and down and give me a look like this one's not good enough for you, you know. He would even say that sometimes. He said that that one's not for you. When I came in with Keith Moon, he he looked us up but he went he nodded approval. <laughs> Little did he know. Okay. <laughs> was there <laughs> you were there watching you yeah 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 now that is cool that is really cool i probably walked into my underwear you were wearing <laughs> oh, i know exactly what you were wearing <laughs> he stumbled in yeah you were wearing a majorette outfit with sequins all over it oh how great is that <laughs> how great is that <laughs> I, I used to also wear 40s bathing suits out. Oh, well, I remember that. Wow, majorette. Majorette you know, outfit. I, I actually um, wore that also. I was a real Don Steeler. Do you remember the real Don oh, Steele show? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It was a local TV show, and I was one of the dancers on that show, and I fawned, had to, we had to fawn over the real Don Steele. And I, that was one of the outfits I wore on that TV show. Oh. <laughs> Oh, boy. It was amazing. It was amazing times. It really was. And it's so fun to share it with people because it's almost incomprehensible now. It is. And, you know, like I said earlier, women were not supposed to be doing the things we were doing. But And, and we just, and you, very, very ahead of the curve, just going after what you wanted in, in, the, in the rock world. And no one understood it. They just saw us as loose women like sluts or something it was so not that and if it was so what you know i mean how dare you judge us (laughs) we were judged and we were doing just what we wanted to do and that is feminism to me i agree yeah of course you do agree (laughs) (laughs) okay now i'm very curious about this one um i was seeing jimmy page and michelle overman was seeing robert plant and we were hanging out with Zeppelin, and you were seeing Peter Grant. I find that absolutely fascinating. He weighed about 350 pounds, right? I would think, yes. Yeah. And totally devoted to a, the band, a band like I have never seen, and, and took care of them like, like they were precious gods, which they are still perceived that way. But I loved him as a person. I mean, he was always there for me, you know. I, I was always on his ample lap. But you went further than that with Peter Grant, and I'm, I want to hear about that. Peter was such a sweet, compassionate, genuine man. Yeah, he was. I think a lot of people were afraid of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he had this bigger-than-life persona underneath was this really sweet man he was 
And I remember when I met him, and 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 he realized that I was interested. He, he was, was thrilled. I bet he was thrilled. He wasn't used to getting a whole lot of action, I don't think. He treated me so sweetly and and tenderly, mm. like like a little doll, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. Oh, well, I sure loved him. I took him and his the band to nudies. To, that's remember when they started looking countrified. Yes. I had I took them to nudies to get all suited out and he was so excited cuz they had tiny sized cowboy clothes and he got them for his kids. Oh, yeah. And so did Bonzo. <laughs> Bonzo got some for his kids too. Bonzo was a big teddy bear also, unless he got drunk. I was up in the Led Zeppelin camp quite a bit because yeah. of Peter. Yeah. Um I was watching everything yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was pretty protected by Peter as well yeah so I was protected by Jimmy too now a lot of people think that the whole Led Zeppelin were up and you know putting fish in people and stuff it was not the case it, it was wasn't not, no no John Paul Jones was very graceful and elegant and would never consider such a thing right <laughs> but the whole neither did the rest of the band except Bonham Bonham would right. get hooked up with the roadies and real drunk, and the roadies and Bonham did all that crazy stuff. There you go. Uh huh. So yeah. it was not Robert, Jimmy, or John Paul Jones that got up to that mud shark stuff, you guys. <laughs> no, I was. I, I dated one of the roadies. I know exactly what they got into. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. He was one of my favorites too, and I can't quite think Clive? of his name right now. Clive was Jimmy's roadie. No. He was a beautiful guy, a big tall Oh, those man. roadies were beautiful. Oh, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they really were. So you didn't, so roadies to you were, were a good bet, huh? Tell us why. I liked them. And I met a lot of them because they would come, uh, you know, into the whiskey where you would meet the roadies first off. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's a good way to be able to go to the shows and. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Are you still friendly with Richard Cole? Through the social media yeah, avenues. Facebook, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Richard Cole turned out to be such a different person than he was back then. That's one of the biggest right. transformations I've ever seen in my, maybe the biggest in my life. Transformation. Richard Cole was seeing my roommate. Charlotte. So I saw quite a no, bit yeah. of Richard. Oh, I remember. Sure, that was a big love affair. Right, mm -hmm. it was. And so I was in the camp due to that. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I, you look around and think, okay, what am I going to do now? <laughs> well, he was a the rough and tumble roadie. And and then he went on to be, you know, the, the sober companion to people like Robert Downey. Oh, my. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I did not. Yes, he went on to be sober companion to movie stars for a while before he went back to England. That's fantastic. I know. It was an incredible transformation. Wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was the most notorious roadie of, of all. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I saw him do some things. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. Uh, what else do you want to tell us? You were ha who, who did you spend a lot of quality time with? I, I know you went out with Ian Place for a while, right? Ian Pace from, Pace. from Deep Purple. I yeah. spent a lot of time with Deep Purple. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what era was that? Mid-70s, huh? That was, yeah, smoke, maybe Smoke on the Water time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Everyone knows that song. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was funny. Well, the girls and I, we'd be up. I'd be up in the whiskey office. We'd get all the promo packs, so we kind of pick our. You know, this is this one's mine. This one's going to be I mine. I just love that because we did too. In the GTOs, we'd really tried to make sure that we didn't have crushes on the same member of, of any band. Right. Because, you know, we were there for each other as well, right? I mean, yes. girlfriends were really true to each other back then. Until later on, the younger groupie girls came in and it got it shifted around a little bit. <laughs> That's for sure. But, you know, the girls all loved each other then too. Was it the same with the... The waitresses at the whiskey? Yeah, everybody did love everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I'm still in contact with quite a few of the girls that were there. Good. You know, everybody um everybody kinda knew where they where they would be and land and who they were after and we oh. were respectful and Yeah. You know, but I, I mean I would kinda go with go out with go for whatever I wanted. Uh huh. <laughs> I didn't let things hold me back. Well you were sure in the no, right that's place. No glory. <laughs> I mean, talk about being a ca- in the candy store. Right. <laughs> I mean, you had your pick. It was, I was jealous of you girls back then because you, you were there for hours every night and you could meet them at sound checks and all of that stuff was going on. Right. right? Well, that was the whole thing. You'd get in, you'd, you know, the, we knew the band was coming. We'd, uh, we'd ahead of time meet them during the day, getting things set up. Yeah. And then show up in our finery for the show. Yeah. And, Perfect, man. A lot of parading around, hoping. <laughs> that sounds like a good series to me. Doesn't it? Yeah. The 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 whiskey waitresses in the 70s. What a great show that would make. Wow. And there's quite a few of them, you know, now that we have social media, Facebook and whatnot, it's... Yeah, it must be fun being in touch fun with to, them all. Yeah, and it, well, it's interesting to see how uh, their memories are differ from mine. And yeah. Nope. I know. But then again, I did work in the office. I was protected. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, there were some hardcore things that went on. I, I remember a story of, I don't was it you? Was it? I don't think it was you. Another girl told me the story of, of Milton Burl at the whiskey. I think this was before you worked there. Milton Burl, um, yeah. Mil- a lot of old time Hollywood people continued to frequent that place. Well, and Milton Burrell's nephew, Marshall, ended up being the manager of the, the 80s band Rat. <laughs> that is classic Marshall information. Burrell and Marshall Burrell came to work in my office at the Whiskey. Whoa. I wonder if he met through his uncle. Elmer Valentine <laughs> hired him to work in our office. That was, that was quite Well, a- I'll tell you the story. I heard one of the waitresses there, he would... He, he was notorious for having the biggest penis in Hollywood. And he would pull it out of his trousers in the whiskey and let it hang loose. Hang loose. And would take the waitress's hands and put it on there. And I, I, one of the waitresses told me that story. Wait, who was this? And she said, Milton Burl. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot of people listening don't know who Milton Berle is, but he was a very early 50s, early 60s TV. He had his own TV shows, comedian. He often dressed in drag. Yes. But he had the biggest penis in Hollywood, apparently, and he pulled it out. Do you know how unbelievably out of, out of I mean, no one could do that now. No one could get Absolutely it. not. But his nephew wasn't far off from that, so... Really? <laughs> He didn't quite do that. He didn't quite go that far, but. And, and what was his gig there? 
he came in as a, a counter or co-booker with Elmer for a while, with oh, Elmer okay. Valentine for oh. a while. So I worked with him up there. I guess there. they met through Milton. I'm trying to remember how they how he did come about. I was there. I was at the whiskey for so long, uh, and and it was kind of towards the in the '80s that he came in just for a, a short while. He he. I think really he was just kind of looking for a management, lo- looking to weed through the bands to manage them, right. and he took Rat. He took them a, a long ways. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. They and and you were dating one of them, right? Well, I guess you could call it dating. <laughs> I know it's what I say sometimes. Well, I was seeing all of them. Oh, you were? Well, let's hear that story. At one time, until I got caught. Well, do you want to tell that story? I don't know. Okay. Well, okay. Was there one? Wasn't Stephen Piercy your main squeeze in that band? I adored Stephen Piercy. Yeah, I just, I just had a, had a, a cutout for him, if you will. He was. He was what, everything that made my heart tick. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, you know, then I'm there and I've got this wonderful job and, and I'm this princess, so to speak. And they, you know, they were all coming one after another. And I, th- I thought, well, why not? So, so I did. Wow. And why not? There was no reason why not back then, you know. It was, it was a time that's, I don't think it's ever going to come again. Maybe, you know, I mean. I, I don't either. But, you know, for, for me and the band Rat, I helped them get their record deal. I, I had the uh, uh, capacity to invite in record people would listen to me. I didn't call every day and say, this is a great band. You need to come listen to this band. But I did for them. I was right. They got a deal. They did many albums. Yeah, and it was quite fun for me. Well, so, so you assisted them in various ways. That's another thing people, when they hear the word groupie, they don't realize what's going on behind the scenes, you know, you know, they imagine things, which is fine. I'm still called names to this day. Uh, I, re- I recall the word groupie coming about when I was about 14, 15. My father used it frequently because I was following around the bands, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Uh, my mom even drove me up to hang out at St. Pierre Road when the Beatles were staying there. Same here, I went up there. I was up there, my wow. mom sitting in the car with my newborn brother. <laughs> While I'm trenching around in the, in the okay. garden. <laughs> exactly. And I got to... Uh, get to ha- go into their backyard because Ronnie Lewis, Jerry Lewis's son, escorted us through there. Oh, there you go. I mean, we were, what a bunch of characters we were, huh? Well, yeah, doing, well, so my, da- my, my dad indulged me in all of it. He drove me to the Rolling Stones concerts and yeah. waited in his car. You know, he would put on a little chauffeur's cap and drive his oh, Cadillac so that I that. was going in style. So but that was the that was the, the groupie would say you're a groupie and that yeah. you know it it seemed after uh, a bit of time it rolled into something a little not so cute that's for sure well at first it was just a, a name it was groups it came from the word group well, you followed a group yeah the first Absolutely. time i saw it or even heard the word was in a british magazine and then the first time i heard someone say it about me i was hanging i was standing with led zeppelin so you must have heard it even before I did that word, but but it, it, it didn't even it, it didn't mean anything negative. Not at all. No, it was cute. It it was yeah. fun. It was cute. It was an accurate description. <laughs> now, as as we're hanging around, you know, as a young girl, are we not uh, fantasizing of becoming that girlfriend? 
Yeah, sure. Back then, for sure. Absolutely. There were no girl rock bands. There was not even, you know, there were like certain singers and front, you know, Motown girls and stuff, but there were no rock girls. Right. So <clears throat> that was the closest we could get to the rock. Well, Susie Quattro came about, and I wanted to be Susie Quattro. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to be that tough, ballsy chick. <laughs> yeah, she, you know, she, she's my friend on Facebook now. She's I love quite her. a character. I friend her. her. She's really open. She's a dog. She just turned 70. Yeah, as I will, <laughs> as I am this year. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm a year older. Than I you. like being 69, though, the naughty number. Yes, I like that number, too. <laughs> it's I my love favorite number. <laughs> I wish I could go back to 69. <laughs> But, but yeah, the word groupie, I mean, I, you know, it, it, it did evolve, it changed, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm so proud of it. Totally, and I am too, so it, it, it very much upsets me when people lump it in with slut or whore, you know, which happens quite often. Often. Submissive. I mean, of all things, that is not what we were, right? We, no. No. We did just what we wanted to do. <laughs> and it was quite fun. Against all odds, and it was a lot of fun, and easier to do that. You could walk into the Whiskey A Go Go any night of the week and bump into 10 rock stars. Absolutely. They hung out there. It was so fun. It was so safe for them then. I mean, it changed, of course. I think, didn't things change a bit when John Lennon got killed? Well, there was more protection around people. There was, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, in the early days, I would hang around uh, out front when I was able to get in. I was there every night. I was always afraid I'd miss out on something. I was there every single night, almost like wallpaper. Me too, I was there every night. It was my home away from home. It was wonderful. Yeah. When I, uh, when I got the opportunity to come into the office and begin working there, and I, I ended up being a full-time employee, it was really pretty funny because full-time was, it was 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., then I was, I was always late to work. <laughs> Elmer loved me so much, he adjusted the hours. Ultimately, I ended up working 12 to 5. <laughs> Had children, got married yeah. the whole time while I was there. I was, I was really his right-hand man. You were married a couple of times, yes? Yes. Uh-huh. And you had a couple of kids with the first guy and two or four with... I had my daughter long before that. Oh, okay. Uh, my daughter Amy, that I named after uh, oh, okay. Eddie Brigotti's uh, and she's girlfriend. 52. You have a 52-year-old 52. daughter. Wow. Yeah, she's 52. Incredible. She's an amazing woman. And how old is your youngest? My youngest is uh, 33. Okay. I have a large gap in there. So, um, so when I ended up going off and getting married. I continued working and I had three sons. So I had my four children. Little Amy was there up in the office going along with me, riding on the console of my little uh, Mustang, going from, you know, hotel to van to. Everybody loved her. And we had a lot of fun. And then you married Ron Keel. That's how you got your name. That's how I got my name. Ron Keel came through with uh, his rock band called Steeler. Uh-huh. And uh, he was quite charming and and seemed to want to have a family and settle down. and A, a rarity so that in that world. That 20-year relationship. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, some children there, a couple children there. And you kept his name. It's a good name. It's I did D. indeed. Dee Dee Keel. Yeah. I kept my ex-husband's name, too. It's a good one. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> it works. <laughs> One of my favorite stories in the book is uh, your experience with David Cassidy. So I want to hear that story from beginning to end. 
David, I adored. Well, he was such a beauty. Oh, yeah. He, he did. He's the one that made my heart sing. Oh. And I didn't ever imagine initially that I would ever meet him. You know, we devoured the Partridge family week to week and all through the years. And, and, and my, uh, it was the bookkeeper at the whiskey that wanted to make that lifelong dream of mine happen. Oh. And she was, she, her boyfriend was a set maker at one of the studios and knew Kay Lenz. And kind of tricked, yeah, kind of tricked them into having uh, her infiltrate their little party at one point. I think it was maybe a baby shower or something like that. Befriended her and got the address. David's address. David's address. (laughs) Oh boy! And surprised me. It was a birthday gift. Going to his home. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and and how long had you crushed on him at that point? It had to be 10 years. <laughs> and he was already, obviously the show was no longer on at that point. Correct. And he was singing. He and had he was, records, right? And, and he, at that time, then really wasn't even with her. It, it, was, a, it was kind of a, kind of a sad time, really. He was in interim. He had moved into a, a new house in the valley. And um, she, I didn't know where we were going. It's oh, my birthday present. Oh my gosh. We're going to this house. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And we parked and, and, and I walked up and and she says, knock on the door. And the door cracked open and there was this face. <laughs> that is an amazing story. I thought I was going to faint. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And he was prepared for you? Was he prepared to see you? He expected us, yes. He did. Yes, he 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 literally said, I hear I'm your birthday present. <laughs> That's a, okay. That is the best birthday present I've ever heard about. It was the best birthday present I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> and and what happened from there? Well he was sitting in the family room watching TV in the dark with boxes all around him. It was quite sad. It was very dark and depressing. Really? Mm. He wasn't going through a good time. Right. Things weren't um, peaceful and happy, even in his marriage. And, yeah. You know, so that was, it was, I think he just really wanted someone to listen oh. to those woes yeah. and yeah. and comfort him. And <laughs> in various I ways. I volunteered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I, I met him in, in later on, probably in the late 80s, early 90s, and he was in a good place at that time. He had a different wife, and and he was, uh, he'd just written his book. Did you read his book? Sure I, did. I did eventually, yeah. yes, uh-huh. yes. He talked about his big member in that book. <laughs> was he correct about that? Absolutely. <laughs> Yay, David. God bless him. He's no longer with us. I, I liked him so much as a person. He was so funny, right? He I mean, was so sweet. So, I mean, maybe yeah. almost to, the, to a fault. Yeah. That he was really a good person. He was. And very lonely. Yeah, I don't time, think he huh? ever really got the, 
the understanding and the love and the care that he really desired. And I think uh, as far as his career went, he was... Yeah, he did not He wanted no. something totally different. Yes, he did, yeah. And yeah. he had a very rough relationship with his dad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which really colored his whole life, I think. But he was a very decent man. I really liked him. I interviewed him for something or other, and we hit it off. And he started coming to some of my parties. And he was really sweet. I really liked him. I did as well. I really did. I really had a lot of respect for him. It was a sad, sad that he's gone. I know. Too young. He but was I had fun with him. He was in Vegas. <laughs> and last I heard, he, he was in very bad shape on stage, right? Didn't he have dementia or something like that? Yeah. Um, he, he, I think he did. And yeah. I, I, did, I did go to a performance. Oh, you did? Towards the end. Um, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, I know. I choose to not remember oh. that. Well, I'm glad you have a, a better memory with him. <laughs> I actually went with one of your good friends. Oh. Kip. Oh, you did? You and Kip went to we see went David to Cassidy? We went to see David Cassidy. You know, Kip has a crush on you. Why in the world you don't I take him up Kip. on it? Well, <laughs> you know, he is so shy, my friend Kip. He won't even come up. I've tried to invite him to be a podcast guest because we have such a fun time on my our rock tours we have our james dean connection and he's got two great bands he was in and he's too shy i, I booked his band shock you did yeah see he should be over here with me i know well yeah. i will remind him that you're well i had a, a lot of fun with tamale. him he's 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 he was and he's such a good guy he's oh my such God. a good guy and he's I, so much fun i know and he's yeah. so much fun we'll get him on the show We'll get him on. Yeah, we went together to that show. Wow, was he kind of sad too about it? Was it? A... I think so. Yeah, yeah, it was hard to not be. Yeah. You know, you. He's such a pop music fan. Oh yes. Yep. He really, yes. really gets it. I still had such great time and such great memories. I have really good memories of him. I mean, I wouldn't have changed a minute of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. And um, we haven't talked about Jeff Beck, which is quite an interesting story. <laughs> Good old Jeff. Yes. <laughs> so let's hear that story. People love stories. Well, yeah, I, I actually wrote. Uh, I've been taking because I took your writing class. Uh huh. Then I have continued doing some writing, and I've written big chunks. I'm so glad to hear that. I've been working with a man named Chris Epton. Uh huh who's done a few books and uh, mostly he's a Huntington Beach historian, music historian. So I do go and write my stories when I was in class with him once a week, we'd read them. And he loved my stuff. Good. So I called that one How to Catch a Rock Star. <laughs> That's a great title. The, the, and then it had a subtitle, The Fine Art of Trickery. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't, you were just being yourself, right? Well, or, or, I went or, back to my old young rascals go-to. I called the hotel, and when I found out that uh, that Jeff was in town, and I left a message not for Jeff, but for his uh, drummer, Cozy Powell. Okay. Oh, that same trick you used with, I with the rascals. So might, I guess that yeah, is a trick. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to call Cozy, and he called back. <laughs> oh. And at the time, uh, Stevie Wonder was performing at the Whiskey. Yeah. I mean, please. How about the people who performed at the Whiskey? It still it never ceases to amaze me. So who doesn't want to go see Stevie Wonder at the Whiskey? So I invited him. 
Oh. <laughs> but I let on that we'd met each other previously. Uh-huh. And, and of course, we hadn't. You made that up. <laughs> That's that right. Up. I guess that is a little bit of trickery. So because how would they remember, really? Right. <laughs> and the, the condition some of those people were in. Oh, my. So I made sure he was on the guest list. And I said, you know, he, he, I said, you're on the list. Go ahead. You know, he says, well, you know, my memory is not all quite it used to be. You, and he says to me, you'll have to come up and suck me in the jaw or something. Yeah. So I waited in, 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 my, in my best purple cape. She always remembers what she had on. I love that. He walked through the doors and he's looking around. And so I literally walked up and took my fist and went, boom. (laughs) Cute. But I thought to myself, really, where I'm aiming is for Jeff. Though I was really taken by Cozy, I made sure that he had a really good night. (laughs) Good. So that, and then I drove him back to the hotel. Uh-huh. It wasn't too many days after that that Jeff Beck came into the whiskey <sighs> looking for me. Oh, ooh. So Cozy had told him what an amazing time he'd had with you? He did indeed. <laughs> How about that? Share and share alike, man. That's what, I, that's what was going on back then, and it was fun, people. It was so fun. And he slid into the booth next to me and whispered in my ear, Are you the one? <laughs> And I said, why, whatever do you mean? <laughs> oh, it worked, man. It did work. I said, yes, indeed I am. <laughs> oh, cool. And that was pretty fun because everyone in the club was wondering, how did she do that? Fantastic, man. You knew how to make it happen. And uh, he, you asked, made it happen. He, he asked, for, you know, is there somewhere we can go? And I thought, heck yeah, we'll go to my place. <laughs> So I did. Drove him to my place. And how was he? I mean, obviously we're not going to get into details, but I've heard good, good things about his prowess. Everything about him is fantastic. Yeah. What a sweet, loving, intelligent man. Yeah. And he's still just playing away. Isn't it so cool? He just wanted to have fun. Yeah. And... To walk out of the whiskey with him and have everybody watch was such a coup. And I was so proud of myself. Um, And then I knew I had the hook in line because I had a 69 purple Cougar automobile. And I knew he loved cars, so I made sure I drove that car. My father had a fleet of wonderful muscle cars, and I chose that one. Your father had a fleet of muscle cars? My father was a car dealer at one point, and I had access to a lot of wonderful vehicles. And I chose that one. And, um, of course, he wanted to drive it. How great, man. And he did. And I took him home. Good for you, honey. And we had just a great time, a lot of fun, a lot of a lot of a lot of talking, and um, I was surprised at how well we connected. Quite frankly, <laughs> good. Was that when the Jeff Beck group, or a little later? Well, Cozy was drumming. Oh, so that was a little later. It was a that, little that was later. The, that was when he was just playing as himself. As without... himself, I yeah. believe the show that I went to, uh, the performance that I went to around that time, was at the San Bernardino Swing Auditorium. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So we we'd gone to that show uh, afterwards, which you know I was very excited to be in front of him while he performed. Yes. Oh, that's always the best to be yeah. on stage with someone watching them perform, knowing you're going to just be with them later. He, I mean, he, there's nothing like that kind of, of rock and roll magic. 
Absolutely. He was really a kind of a dream come true uh, that I actually pulled that off was shocking to myself. Well, um, he, and, and that there was a lot of work put behind that. I mean, there was a lot of thought processes and, and you know. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I that's... thought if Cozy went home and said what a great time yeah. he'd had. <laughs> and it totally worked. Yay. <laughs> One of my favorite bands was the Jeff Beck group. Um, with Rod Stewart singing, and he was brand new on the scene, and what a character. He already had a huge, huge yeah. ego before he, anyone knew who he was. But that, that, that band was so great. His album Truth is one of my very favorite records. And I, I guess I can talk about this now because I, I couldn't write about it uh, because I wasn't in the room when it happened, but several of the GTOs uh, at Frank Zappa's cabin, saw Jeff Beck give himself head. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Did you notice that he was quadruple jointed like that? I did not. <laughs> um, I missed that one, darn it. I don't know if we can keep this in, but uh, <laughs> he, he, I saw him years later, and, and the girls came running out and saying, oh my God, you can't believe what just happened, and I was very upset that I missed it. Darn and I actually tried to put it, and I'm with the band, and the attorneys, you know, reading the book said, if you didn't witness it, you can't write about it. Other, I could have had I been in that room, but I saw Jeff many years later at Helena's, and he thanked me for not putting that in my book. And little did he know I tried. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Wow. Because what a wonderful thing to be able to do. Absolutely. <laughs> What a talent! I mean, I know mean, <laughs> what more talent than we even knew. I mean, yeah, more talent than anybody knew. But the GTOs saw it, three of them. I have such fond memories of him. Just, I mean, he was just fun. Me too. You know, he played on our record, and he was—he played on Mercy's song and a couple songs on on the GTOs record, and he was just a doll. His whole band was. So we sure have some great memories. Great don't memories. We? Yeah, I have no absolutely done beyond anything I ever imagined I do in life. Yeah. So much fun. I look back and I have great memories, no regrets. No regrets. Same no, here. not at all. I only have a couple regrets for things I didn't do that there I you could go. have done. That's that's the whole ticket. Yes. You're only going to regret the things yeah. you don't do. No, yeah. that's no glory. <laughs> yes. I, I, things I could have done, a couple of amazing things I could have done that I, you know, have a date with Elvis and things like that. But I, you know, I don't regret anything I actually did. <laughs> I had tickets to see Elvis through Elmer Valentine and didn't go. There's a prime example. Yeah. So Elvis, we both have that an Elvis story. That was in the story. 70s. Yep. I had someone call me up and say, Elvis needs a date tonight to come up to his house and watch TV. It was Larry Geller who did his hair and was his spiritual advisor. And I had just gotten engaged to Michael. And I said, no, I better not. <laughs> oh, and later I told Michael, and he said, what were you thinking? Of course you should have gone out there. But anyway, only regrets for things I didn't do. Well, see, that's the way it goes, for real. Yep. So so tell me about now. How is Dee Dee Keel now? I am wonderful. Yeah? I am. Seems um, like it. I'm, well, I'm still working for the public school district. And you've been a teacher. I'm the detention supervisor. Detention supervisor. At a middle school. That is so fantastic that Dee Dee Keel 
is a detention supervisor. Well, you know, <laughs> well, I have to say, it's really funny how that even came about. I, I wanted, my family thought it was time I got a real job. Um, they wanted me to apply at the city, the county, and, and the local school district. Uh-huh. So I did. I went and put applications into all of them, and I got called back. I got yeah. I, I got offered the job in animal control at the county of Orange, and uh-huh. I got offered the job as the ALC attendant at the school district. I wanted to work with children, so I took that job not knowing exactly what it was. Uh-huh. Come to find out, it's the detention supervisor. <laughs> Wow. But come to find out, I'm really good at it. Uh-huh. Wow. I I think uh, because I could relate to being a rebellious teen. Yeah. That yeah. I connected with these kids that were having these similar issues. Uh-huh. Good. And I learned right away to give them choices. Hmm. And that that afforded me an awful lot of power with them to relate. I have since become very well known as being Miss Dee the rock and roll girl. Well, I'm sure with the internet now, they can look all kinds of things Which up. Which I was afraid you. of. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but most recently, I did have, I've gone through quite a few, being there 11 years, I've gone through quite a few administrators at the school site that I work at. And my most recent assistant principal came to me and said, I've Googled you. And I thought, oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and she said, I really get it. It's amazing. Good. What an amazing life you've had. And I thought, shoo. <laughs> That's so good that people are starting to appreciate this incredible life that, that women lived back then. I don't think I could do the job as well as I do it. I'm still there. Uh-huh. You're had still I not there. gone through some of the many trials and, and triumphs that I have mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Trials and so, triumphs. So Love not it. not long ago I did I was on the Family Feud TV show. Okay. And Steve Harvey had asked about, what do you do for a living? And I had mentioned that I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go. But then I real quick said it ties in with what I do now. I'm the detention supervisor at the middle school. So so I was able to, to say to Steve Harvey, so you see, I know how to handle naughty boys. <laughs> I had started that by telling the story of spending my 21st birthday with Led Zeppelin. Ah, on, that, on the Family Feud? I said that on the Family Feud. Oh, that is so cool. So it piqued a lot of interest. Yeah. But when you figure, if you spend your 21st birthday with Led Zeppelin, and now you're working as a detention supervisor in middle school, I think I qualify to handle naughty boys. <laughs> <laughs> so it was perfect. So are there any acts um, that you saw first and then they at the whiskey and then they just became household names oh so many i think my my most favorite story if you can remember of course i followed you around look at you i love you and i followed you around for so long that i'm thrilled to be here oh thank you honey. do you remember a band called sparks in the oh my 70s? god my favorite they're still my top five favorite band so we booked them at the whiskey as half nelson yes that was their first band and nobody came Nobody came. I didn't see them till they were Sparks. Sparks. The very first time they became Sparks, I guess it was 1970 I saw them. So they went to to the UK and they came back and they changed their name to Sparks. Yeah. And so I got this great idea to say direct from England. <laughs> Sparks. Oh, and people showed up. They did indeed. <laughs> 
That is so it was good. A great triumph. Their, their newest album is so good, man. They're still one of my it's, favorite bands. It's fantastic. I learned so much working with Elmer Valentine, and I I had a good uh, a good handle on things that were happening that where he didn't the the, the street level, yeah. You know that kind of thing. Um, and I was privy to a lot of um, secrets that were going on in in Hollywood and. Uh, Elmer had uh, movie stars coming up. We'd have we'd Sonny Bono, Cher. They were coming up to have lunch with Elmer. So, uh, he knew everybody. And then we His opened, story. And we opened the Roxy, so we had you know double things going. I was answering yeah. phones for both at one you know oh. at that time. Well, we should have you on again. A crazy, crazy you know. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but one of the one of the, my most favorite stories that I can, if you want to hear now, we can I can okay. bring it bring it full circle. <laughs> okay. The uh, my love affair with Ian Pace of Deep Purple. Right. The girls kind of set me up with him. We went into the Hyatt House bar, and, and they wanted to be around Deep Purple. And my roommate was so in love with John Lord. Well, we're gonna we're gonna set you up with this drummer, and I had no idea, but I went along with it. He was so sweet. What a wonderful man he was. I I would see him all the time. I was his L.A. girl. Ian Pace would come into town and I would go see him. I was his L.A. girl. Absolutely adored him. Drove down to surprise him one night with, with my roommate Charlotte in my little car all the way to San Diego to the sports arena where Deep Purple were performing. Walked down the ramp, had no way of getting in, but used our, our groupie glory and talked our way in. He had already taken the stage and he was behind the drum kit and he looked down and waved. He was so excited. And then I drove him back to town. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I, when I got, I got married to the uh, road manager for Iggy and the Stooges. And I, I was working at the whiskey and I was very pregnant. And I'm in the foyer of the whiskey and in walks Ian Pace. And I hadn't seen him in about a year. Aww. He just looked one one look at my stomach and it looked heartbroken because <laughs> he had asked me if I wanted to go to England with him Aww. and and I didn't want to leave huh I, well you must I, have I known was, something was coming <laughs> I was in kind of a glorious spot I had three men that I was really in love with but it was time to settle down I had my little five-year-old daughter Amy yeah yeah and and I picked the American man. Yeah. <laughs> so he walked in and, and, he, and he just kind of felt my stomach. And he, and I just, I felt like heartbroken for myself, heartbroken for him, but I knew I'd, I'd made the, the right choice. So now I find out, this is recently, that Ian Pace is coming to town. And I had read that he'd had, I believe he'd had a heart attack. Uh-huh. And I, I really wanted to see him. I wanted to go full circle. As I'm getting older, I'm thinking these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I happen to be very close friends with a costume designer. I'm going to say costume designer. They makes clothing who was doing costuming for Deep Purple. And he gave me the email address of Deep Purple's road manager, a woman. Uh-huh. And cool. I wrote to her. I say, they're coming to town. I wonder if I could see Ian. I just needed to have it go around full circle. Totally get it. And she said, I'll have to ask if he'd like to see you. And she wrote back, he does. <laughs> He's excited to see you. Aww. So they were performing in Orange County. It was um, Deep Purple and um, 
there was a an opening act. Oh no, it was Deep Purple and co-headlining Judas Priest. Oh yeah, I remember. The costume designer for Judas Priest was the one who got me on the list, and okay. so. It was very official. I had a, a purple pass with an IP on it, which I realized meant Ian Pace. <laughs> and they come out with a walkie and they call my name. He's ready for you. Oh, oh, wow. Things have changed, huh? And I'm paraded into this wonderful backstage area with curtains and cushy. And he came walking out. And I thought, oh, my heart be still. Oh, it's him. Oh. And he looked just as lovely as he ever had. Oh, and he sat down and, and held my hand, and, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said, but do you actually remember me? <laughs> and he said in his wonderful little accent, I've only ever had one girlfriend named Dee Dee. Oh, that is so sweet, And Dee that Dee. was just such a wrap for me. Oh, I love it. Oh, He, he offered some wine. He got us wine, and we sat, and we talked, and we reminisced, and I reminded him of our time together, and he remembered each bit. And they came to get him to go on stage, and he said, please ask to see me again when I come through town. Oh, that is so perfect, isn't it? And we had a photo together. Yeah. His road manager came out and took a photo and I took my place in the audience and that was it and I thought to myself I'm not going to ask to see him again it's it was too, too perfect because it was too perfect oh <laughs> what if it doesn't end this way yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so that was just to me such a tie up for my whole time of the 70s with yeah your music life Yes, yeah. and you don't ever want it to not end that well. So yeah. he's come to town since, and it's all I could do to not ask oh. again, but I didn't do it. Picture perfect. Picture it perfect. It really was, yeah, that he considered me his girlfriend. Yes. Not just his L.A. girl. Yeah, right, yay. <laughs> it was wonderful. Well, honey, thank you so much for reminiscing with me. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely a pleasure. Delighted. Okay. I love you. Love you, too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Incredible. What a, a incredible forthrightness there from Dee Dee Keel. Her stories, you know, some people might say, wow, isn't that salacious? Yes. And she's proud of her history. And so am I, you know, because she's a groupie. She has a groupie heart. I have a groupie heart. We connected. It was lovely. So thank you, Dee Dee. Loved it so much. And while I have your attention, I want to talk about AdamEve.com because we all need a little 
heat in our lives, don't we? Especially right now. AdamEve.com has so many sexy, wonderful, trippy, so many trippy ways to enhance your sex life. So please go and check it out. And I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. They have a plaster caster kit, similar to my dear friend Cynthia Plastercaster's infamous casting of rock star genitalia. And you can make your own guy a rock star by casting his genitalia. Go to adameve.com and grab that kit. Okay, dolls, I love you all. Remember to go check me out at my website, PamelaDeBar.com, and see what I'm up to. I do classes. I do rock tours. I'm fun. Let's face it. So I love you. Bye. We're the Pamela. Listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts, Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram, and Pantheon Pods on Twitter. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. 
Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.